Hi, welcome to the Daiku Podcast. I'm Gary Snow. Today, I welcome the creative minds behind Liminal Horror, which is a rules-light, adaptable, modern horror role-playing game about normal characters and their struggles against the things that go bump in the night. I welcome Goblin Archives, who wrote Liminal Horror based upon the Karen system, and Josh Damaski, who has been instrumental in developing the look and feel of the system through modules like the Bureau and the Bloom. Gentlemen, welcome. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Well, Little Little Horror has been lighting up my uh, social media feed and everybody's enjoying the game itself. And uh, I guess the first place that we could probably jump into is uh, um, Nick, uh, Goblin Archives. You, this is the first time on, our, our, on the podcast, so welcome. But just tell us, how did the, uh, the seed of Liminal Horror get started? Um, so a lot of it got started around, um, it's like 2021, I think. I was listening to the Lost Bay podcast and there were... Um, different designers that were talking about creating and then that put planted the seed in me of like hey i could do a game too um i had been playing a lot of mothership a lot of electric bastion land and so i wanted to specifically yohai was talking about karen and so i wanted to use that as a system it just worked so well um and then i decided i thought of like looked at different games because i wanted to make something uh unique and i saw that there was a sort of an opening for doing modern horror in an OSR lens. And so I just dived into that and then made the system. It got received well. And then I put out, I started the mall, writing the mall the next year. And then Josh reached out to do the bureau and we wrote those at the same time. Uh, we did both. And then Josh was also doing Tangled at the same time. So we were writing three modules at pretty much in a two month span and got them all out by that summer sale. And then we've just been collaborating ever since. Um, yeah. Maybe to back up like horror, what uh, kind of makes you excited about the horror genre and Josh, you can jump in too. And uh, just what, why, why have you fallen in love uh, with making horror movie, horror genre uh, <laughs> modules? So I actually didn't really like horror growing up. Um, that was more of a thing that like my wife brought into my life a little more. And so I was like, okay, maybe I will watch some spooky movies. Um, but what I ended up also doing is around 2020, I was starting to read a lot more um, short form horror, like from small presses, like Filthy Loot. Um, so uh, short stories and really loved the impact and just sort of that like tangible excitement and like not knowing where it was gonna go um and sort of the way it hit and just really how that could translate well to uh play in the table um you can have that mix of that fun and then that seriousness and i like that it sort of lends itself to having um you know characters that change and or die and i think that's really interesting it can be especially when you go into it knowing that that's what the stakes are um i know that there are certain games where that's not as fun for people to lose their character but little horror is designed specifically for having characters either die or like really rapidly change it's like what the title means so it's like it's just fun and so i think it really lends itself to being interesting and it's a fun way to like, as we'll talk about later, reinterpret adventures we really love in a modern horror way. Cool, and Josh. Yeah, so, um, I have this this very vivid memory in my childhood of um, going to my parents' bedroom in the middle of the day. Um, when at the time, you know, this is the '90s, they had a TV in their room, which was sort of you know unheard of then um and so i would go up there in like the summer and noon and just watch tv because nobody else is watching it 
and I went to turn the TV on and it was the scene in Alien where uh, it's revealed that uh, that um, was that Ash is the android. And so this this young Josh turns the TV on and there's like, you know, milky substance spewing out of a creature. It's like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> and that's just like seared into my brain. But um, when it comes to like writing the stuff, uh, I've never I've never really been like a fantasy guy. Um, I've, I've read a little bit of it here and there, but I was like obsessed with Star Wars as a kid and more into like the the sci-fi angle of things uh so when it comes to like tabletop rpgs um realistically when you look at stuff especially in like the osr scene uh, dungeon crawls are a horror experience we don't necessarily openly admit that but it like being the character in there would be absolutely terrifying <laughs> so um there is there's a core nugget in there that i really like you know but moving to modern horror is sort of just like openly acknowledging it and uh it's a it's a fun space to play in and as as far as uh like modern horror goes uh and i'll just kind of even say this from my own experience like i josh you kind of tweaked the memory of me as growing up i played you know a ton of dnd but i never really was a dm but anytime that we played another game i was always like all in i was like i wanted to play anything but or gm anything but a dnd adventure but it's very difficult in a modern horror setting or like a modern setting because it's like, well, call the police, call the like that kind of thing. But whereas a fantasy, you don't have that out. So I'd be interested to kind of know how you tackle that when you when you get into liminal horror, how you set the stage for people that they're in these situations, but there's no help. Yeah, that's actually something that we we try and work into some of the modules that we've been writing, especially that the last two. Um, the basis is that the characters you play are ones in which the systems of power and place aren't going to help. You know, it's the traditional means of protection for these people have already failed by the time you as characters are interjecting into these investigations. Um, so in the Bureau, um, you are literally inside the headquarters of the you know, secret governmental organization that's supposed to be dealing with these horrid things, but has, you know, failed miserably at it. And you were kind of left there to sit in the consequences of it. And then in the bloom, it's the, uh, classic, uh, sheriff's department within there doesn't want outside interference. So they kind of tamper down, um, the ability to sort of contact police outside of that. So if you call the cops, it's just rerouted to the sheriff's office who doesn't want to call all the outside cops until it's too late. And then at that point, he said it's already too late. <laughs> yeah, so we oftentimes will try to think through like how that would work. Um, and then there is that sort of basic framing that like, yeah, you could call the cops during the situation. It's not going to make the situation better. And then leaning into with our facilitators as well, like they want to continue the story. And so they would frame situations that it wouldn't just be like, oh, you get arrested. You're in jail now. The story's over. Um, if you get arrested, and get thrown in jail. Like that's a new scene, new setting for something else to happen in Cascade. Um, the one thing I do find that I've really liked with modern horror is that um, we all have schemas for things. We all live this day in and day out. Like when I describe a 7-Eleven, I use this, this, this one specifically because this is the first session I ever ran 
of liminal horror when we are still play testing it is the scene starts at a 7-eleven and the characters that and like it was almost immediate that everyone at the table just knew exactly what i was talking about knew what it felt like to be there at 3 a.m in the fluorescent lights that are flickering a little bit and then something's going on outside and you're like do i look do i not and then the characters look and then it gets real weird really fast and i had a, um, a friend who's been my long my best friend who's been a long time player of mine um talk about afterwards when we were chatting and he's just like you know what i was able to be there immediately in my mind um whereas sometimes when i described because he played this long-running DD campaign and he was like this fallen um dwarf dwarf prince and he's just like sometimes it was really hard for me to visualize the things in DD or like what camping was like or that part whereas with the modern horror like it was immediate like no work had to be done so we could really lean into the weird because they already had the expectations of what's going on um and that part i think is the flip end of um, while there are some modern conveniences that make it so you have to narratively work around on the flip end i immediately can get engrossed in what's going on because i don't have to do a lot of heavy lifting when i'm describing settings or what it feels like to have your phone go off but then like you can't you're trying to answer it and your like finger keeps slipping kind of thing what is the name of that 7-eleven uh adventure i want to say it was like trouble at the circle k but that's probably bill and ted's excellent adventure. oh no it was actually the this where we set the first scene of the um plague of frogs which is in the legacy edition of the zine um which was like I, a haphazardly playtest adventure that is, I think is fun. I, I had fun running it, um, but definitely Jarrett was, I was like, should I throw in an adventure into the zine we're publishing? He's like, definitely. So I, I just put what I had on hand. <laughs> cool. And uh, speaking of adventures, you've already had a number of modules uh, that uh, have been uh, well received. Uh, and you talked about earlier at the mall, uh, who wants to kind of give us the pitch and kind of the background and we'll go through some of the adventures and then talk about some of the exciting work that you're having. Yeah, having I can, I, I can do that. So the mall was, I probably had the mall in my head about as long as I had liminal horror in terms of like, um, cause I thought about what is the most modern dungeon and my first thing that came to mind was a mall uh i live in portland oregon and so there's the lloyd center so i grew up going there um if you open the pages of the mall it has a exact replica of the map um so it's a dying shopping mall i said it in the 90s but you could really set it at any time um it's really framed to be like a mini series in terms of play um it gets ripped out of time and space through things that are going on. And there is a The Thing style monster that is replicating people and sort of taking over the mall. And so you as players are trying to figure out how to get out and get free and also trying to figure out what's going on. And so there's a bunch of different factions. Um, it's a lot of fun. I've had so much fun playing. I have some of my favorite character moments ever um, and play moments ever running this. Um, I did learn later on that there's actually a bunker under the Lloyd Center, which I did not know, which would have been helpful oh, wow. when writing it. Instead, I had uh, tunnels under it. But uh, so we might be doing some updates when we we, we do some launching. Um, and so there's some things I'll tweak going forward. But yeah. And I'm just realizing as a, a poor host um, that I probably should have like prefaced some of the, the actual mechanics uh, around the game itself because it's built upon the uh, Cairn chassis which is built mm -hmm. upon the, into the odd chassis and uh, can you just talk us through like why it's kind of like a rules light narrative heavy um, kind of system yeah I find that 
uh, as a forever GM, um, I was always the one who had to carry all the rules in my head. <laughs> um, and so systems that were really rules light that could be easily described to someone and jump right into play allows you to um, just start hit, hit the ground running. So that's why I loved Electric Fashion Lane into the odd Cairn. Um, also, it allows you to generate characters fast. So you can, if characters die, generate more. Um, the biggest shift, other than it being set in the modern times, which is really just um, window dressing, in all honesty, is the fact that we introduced um, Fallout, which is a thing that targets control, which is sort of your willpower charisma. And it's a way that your characters become more weird as they get engaged to stress. It's very explicitly um, not stigmatizing mental health issues, which uh, um, a lot of traditional... Um, horror games do um and i wanted nothing to do with that and so instead i made it so your character like narratively gets more like odd more weird more like the monsters they're fighting or investigating um we also added a new mechanic we'll talk about later for the investigators edition to mirror that fallout in, in a physical way but um yeah the cool, most I think I saw a fourth guest join us. Is that who? Oh, it's Fiona. One of my five cats. <laughs> <laughs> well, hello, Fiona. Welcome to the show. Uh, and then uh, the next adventure, and I'll say off the bat, uh, Josh did a, a master class in uh, information design on this one. I thought uh, just fabulous. I always refer to it as like, if you want to learn how to lay out an adventure and make it cool, this is the way to go. But so uh, maybe Josh, I'll have you jump in here and talk about it. Yeah, so... This is a, I don't know, an interesting one because this is the start of, you know, me working on Liminal Horror stuff in a more formal capacity. But, um, so the Bureau is, it, the way I describe it, it's the, the video game control meets, you know, Mothership's Gradient Descent uh, in terms of the source, the primary sources of inspiration for it. But, um, I like to talk about control as the video game that changed my life, but that's you know being intentionally hyperbolic. Um, it's just uh, a game that was made uh, specifically for me. Uh, so uh, that came out in 2019, and uh, I had been like toying in the background uh, of trying to figure out a way to take the you know the core experience of that game and bring it to tabletop. Um, there was a couple of failed starts. I had a project I called, um, I think it was just Project Singularity or Synchronicity, that's what it was, where I was starting to develop a, a bespoke system to go along with what would eventually become the Bureau, because um, I started building the setting at that point, too. Um, and then I, I stopped that because it sucked. Um, I ended up stumbling into Liminal Horror through the... Um, annotated archive of game design resources. I think that's what it was called that Nick had put together. Mm -hmm. um, and Nick had written a conversion for uh, Luca Rayx uh, Let Us In. And so I didn't love the included system in this adventure. And so I was looking for something anyway. And then it was like Luminal Horror pops up. And I'm like, oh shit, I think I already own this. <laughs> Uh, so I played the session there. I ran, it was a Halloween one in uh, like 2021, I think. And then after running that, I was like, oh, this is going to work. <laughs> um, so I, I revived those ideas that I had, you know, bring 
uh, the tone of this game, you know, a modern dungeon crawl. You're going through this labyrinthian building. Um, I liked the idea of the secret government organization. And so I started to mesh those all together. Uh, I'd put a pitch together uh, and sent it off to Nick. It, it was, I think, the basic idea. And I, I think I'd written the first floor at that point as well. Um, which is mainly intact, I think, from the original draft that made it uh, into the zine itself. But um, so, yeah, take this idea. There's this government organization. They have horribly failed, but you're sort of trapped in this building and have to figure out how to get around, uh, you know, the creatures that are in there and the lockdown of the building itself in order to escape. Um, but when I talk about the the design inspiration and how it meets gradient descent, um, for the unfamiliar, Gradient Descent is, is one of the formal mothership adventures. Um, it details this uh, android production facility that's been long since abandoned and overrun by a, um, an artificial intelligence that's still doing a bunch of weird shit in there. Um, but they had this really great information design in there, and it just packs it in. It's a mega dungeon in 60 pages, I think. And so reading that was just like another light bulb in my head. And so um, I wouldn't say that I copied it exactly, but that was on my mind a lot uh, with the idea of doing, you know, try and put the map and the text all in one page layout so you can quickly review and read it uh, during the session. And, you know, I wanted to do a Mega Dungeon in 30 pages because I didn't want to write a, a 60 page <laughs> scene. Um, I think it's like. 40 yeah it's about 40 in the end so it expanded a little bit beyond that but yeah the idea is you know a modern day dungeon crawl in a weird labyrinthian skyscraper and i loved the uh, redacted text and you kind of really felt like you were uh finding kind of like a real life uh what, what do you call it anyways you where you have a real life artifact in your hand that kind of feels like you're in the game and it helps uh, that immersion. And I think I've seen on a podcast, somebody said that you can actually still highlight the text underneath the redacted text. Yeah. And I was like, that's a cool trick. I haven't tried it yet. Yeah, yeah it's a little, um, a little I use affinity for layout. And so it's, it's, there's a way you can hide the text in like a black bar that it'll still survive underneath it. So um, there's, there's not a whole ton of the redacted text in there, but I, I intentionally put a few Easter eggs in for those who went searching the PDF. Very cool. And then uh, you, your next adventure, The Bloom, that was uh, also a, like, and you did a um, itch funding for that. And I'd also be curious to know how you felt itch funding went versus say, you know, traditional Kickstarter. And I know like every, you're, we're always trying different ways to kind of bring games just out to the public. So I'd like to kind of throw that in there. Like what, how is your experience with that versus say a traditional Kickstarter? Yeah. Um, so the bloom is sort of a standalone fallout, uh, follow-up to the bureau they're definitely all of the stuff is within its own like sort of anti-canon um but the bloom very specifically is related to the bureau um it is with the bureau being um mega dungeon singular um office building uh the bloom is what if we did it as a sandbox <laughs> right and so it's um open um small town horror um characters are in the small town which something weird happened about a year ago and then things start happening again um and then there's sort of this encroaching uh doom that becomes setting in into the town as you try to figure out can i save the people or myself um can i survive can i get out can i stay whole or like solve the mystery um we itch funded this. I did the same thing for the mall and sort of with both our framing for it was 
okay, we're going to invest this money anyways into development. We were always going to get this stuff done. The itch funding was a way for us to offset so we didn't have to carry as much of the burden. Um, it's nice. I think itch funding, especially if you have a little bit of a base um, and open it up and very explicitly be like, hey, this is going to get done. The faster it funds is um, the faster I get some of these things um, finished. I think it's a great way to approach it. Um, it removes the sort of obligation sometimes that kickstarting kick or um, other funding sources can do where you're beholden to others. And it's much more of a, like a help me develop this and make this thing a reality, um, which I think is a lot more collaborative and fun. Um, and it's just great to see. And then you can just put out, I'm always a fan of putting out drafts when it comes to itch funding so people can see um we don't have them as cataloged as much for the bloom but like for the mall i have you can go look at like every draft with my editor's notes to see as like a here's what editing looks like i i sort of cataloged that as a um experiment for the bloom though um it worked well and then our our thing that we presented was hey you'll get a um a digital copy of this um, so it removes the need to worry about fulfillment of physical. Um, and it just came out physical, Josh, what, a month ago? Yes. Yeah, about <laughs> a month ago. Now. It is in stores now at spacepenguin.inc. Um, uh, and so um, you can get it. It's a, it's a gorgeous book. It's maybe the prettiest one I think that we have, I think design-wise. The Bureau is so phenomenal in what it is. I think the Bloom, though, has this really... Um, if you talked about real-world artifact, we tried to, like... Um, not oversaturate that with the bloom, but I think there's just enough touches that it really does feel like um, an unnamed NPC ca cataloged and collected um, and did an X-Files style investigation on the bloom incident, right? Uh, the, the, the Clearwater um, incident too. <laughs> and this might be a good time to uh, talk about your relationship with Space Penguin Inc. since you mentioned it and uh, the fact that you can get the bloom there and... Um... And just talk about uh, your relationship uh, with uh, Space Penguin Inc. Yeah, so um, Jarrett Crater, who is did uh, Space Penguin Inc., was a longtime uh, collaborator of Exalted Funeral, and he was did acquisitions for them. And so my relationship started there, where um, I had sent the PDF of Liminal Horror to Jarrett, and was like for free PDF day. And then we started talking and he gave me the opportunity to get it into print. And I, I oftentimes call him the liminal horror doula because he, he brought it into the world as a, as a physical print and he sort of helped throughout. Um, and then this year he finally got to um, branch out onto his own, which is a thing he'd been working towards. And so building out um, Space Penguin Inc. And so I was really excited to continue my relationship. Um, there we had been long time planning uh, the the uh, deluxe edition, which he will be the editor for. Um, if you don't know who Jarrett Crater is, go look at your library in about a quarter to a half. If you collect independent um, indie TTRPGs, we'll have his name on it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. The name keeps uh, coming up frequently. I know uh, he did a really good um, episode with Tony at uh, Plus One EXP where uh, he talked about uh, layout and like, well, he's always on there just talking about how you can bring your game into the world. So uh, mm -hmm. check it out at uh, Space Penguin Inc. I think, is it .inc, I-N-K? I-N-K, I believe. Yeah, so. um, he, we also have merch. We're both wearing different merch. This one that I have has um, the liminal horror font designed by Ira uh, Rat of Filthy Loot that I mentioned earlier, which is a small 
press um small fiction misfit misfit fictions is what he calls it and then josh designed a liminal horror uh merch for the uh the bloom as well and show that show that again uh josh uh walking to cold water yeah camp, camp cold water. camp cold water which um we have so bloom is set in cold water um and then we also have uh, a, another adventure that leads up into the bloom um a little uh, prequel as one may say that josh has run on um run on a podcast and might appear in the deluxe edition as well and so uh we've got the investigator edition that we're going to talk about now and so um this is going to be an updated version yeah and so i when i did the original uh zine i had another reason why i wanted to make a game was i wanted to learn layout and so i leaned really heavily into karen's layout i used the same font um i'm so proud of that zine and there's some special things that are in that legacy edition is what i'll call it um of the zine that you can't get anywhere else and those will be the only ones ever in print and there's probably about 80 more that are like i said shipping over from the uk to back to um, exalted funeral and they're worth uh picking up um but i collector's wanted to items everybody be warned right now they are going to be collector's items i'll have this up on ebay in about <laughs> half an hour yeah and they have like at adventure they have um uh, um, adventure in it, uh, magic. They have some things that um, aren't in anything else. Um, but I wanted to make something that aligned a little bit more with the deluxe edition that's going to come out, and we'll talk a little bit more of that later. Um, it is fully compatible, like system-wise. The rules didn't change. I just wanted to update the layout to reflect a little bit about what I had learned as a designer. Um, I it finally got an editor, so Jarrett went through and did the editing on it. So a lot of some clarified text and some shifts. Um, we added a wound system, which is another slide that we'll talk about. Um, we changed character creation to be more reflective of what it's going to be in the deluxe edition, which includes archetypes. So if you've picked up any of the bureau or the um, or the bloom. There's these things called archetypes, which are sort of like backgrounds, but have a little more um, narrative meat to them. And so that's a thing that we're going to introduce in the deluxe edition. So I wanted to have um, character generation. The investigators doesn't have archetypes in it, but it models how that uh, char character gen will go. Um, and we also shifted uh, the focus from being cosmic horror to more general modern horror because what we found was um you could do all kinds of different sub sub genres for liminal horror so it's not beholden to just one type um i really think it depends on your table and your design and the most fun thing that i see is when people are like oh i'm doing a slasher now oh i'm doing this um haunted house like and so seeing how it looks different and how you tweak it slightly um, but the wounds is probably the biggest introduction. It's the only major mechanical change that we're going to do to the system. Um, and it is a complete mirror of what fallout is, but for physical. And so when you take critical damage, instead of just um, being removed from combat, which was how it was traditionally, um, you can still be removed from combat. You could decide to like not continue. Um, but what it really does is it adds... Um, different types of wounds that fill your inventory 
um, to really get that more visceral, I'm not going to say gore, but sort of visceral gore that sometimes <laughs> is often in horror, right? Like, and I wanted something mechanically to like go off of that when I uh, have a giant claw scrape against my arm, like there's ways to reflect that on my character and to have them physically change, not just um, sort of metaphysically change like they do in Fallout. And this is uh, probably a good thing to point out, is at least in my mind, is this is what I love about like the open gaming world as far as, uh, you know, you get a system like Into the Odd and then uh, Yohai uh, hacks it with uh, Karen and then you take that and you hack it into Liminal Horror and then even though the, the barrier rules are there, you're adding to it to reflect what you need to in that game. And it's like, you know, and Josh probably in graphic design, you know, you steal an idea or a concept. And then by the time you're done with it, it looks kind of nothing like what uh, the original one was. And it kind of just evolves to what you need it to be. And that's the best part about what gaming is, is like, and any one of us who, it doesn't matter what system we play, like as we play at our table, we adapt things to our table oftentimes. And so this is just more of a formalized way of like, I've adapted these systems that work perfectly. I will, I will say that into the odd, the baseline rules are pretty perfect. It's why I chose them because I knew they worked. Um, they are also great because it is open enough that I can add these sort of like wounds is a subsystem that I've we formally made a core part of the game, just like Fallout is. But on a whole, like they don't fundamentally overly change the like how I roll for a save. It just is a uh, um, it integrates just so well. Um, and so with wounds, I often was finding I was wanting something to reflect. Um, to mirror what Fallout was. And so this is a more formal way of, so it has severity, it has different types of like wounds, like gunshot, stabbing, gore, burning, crushing, or bludgeoning. And then it has severity of the type of wound you would take into your inventory um, to really just lean into that like third act of the horror movie where like my character is barely holding on. And you can see that visually and that's reflected on the character sheet through their inventory. <laughs> And I realized I might have screwed up and I might have said Karen twice, but it's Ben Milton's Nave and uh, Into the Odd that uh, Karen came out of. So mm -hmm. Ben Milton, I'll put the link up. I have an interview with Ben up here. I'll put the link up above. <laughs> as well as Into the Odd, I'll put the, the link of uh, my interview with uh, Chris McDowell. But we're also on the cusp of launching One Night at the Shelterwood Inn, which, yes. I mean, horrors in uh, CD old motels in the middle of nowhere since so psycho seems like uh, a good fit <laughs> yeah this is a this is a fun one so um the digital version has been out for a while we um prioritize getting that done it's, it's part of the reason the bloom ended up as late as it was <laughs> but, um, this one <laughs> yeah but the physical version we've been holding off on a little bit um and uh unless something has gone wrong that i haven't been informed of it should be launching uh, a day from when we record this so november 22nd on space penguin the physical version um so this um it's, it was an interesting journey. Uh, I It kind of combines two efforts here where um, in uh, the end of last year, I had a couple of the folks from um, Haunted Table uh, reach out to me uh, just to um, uh, 
basically just to get acquainted. I ended up running a one shot of the, the bureau for them. Um, and through that discussion, I was learning a little bit about uh, what would become Triangle Agency, you know, the system that uh, kickstarted earlier this summer. Uh, and that those guys were looking to kind of see um, what other people were doing in the scene. One, to make their own thing kind of unique. And two, to look for methods of collaboration. Uh, so after, you know, getting to meet up, running a little bit of the bureau for them, having a good time, they were like, we should do a crossover adventure. And I'm like, hell yeah, <laughs> let's do it. Uh, so at the same time, what I was doing was working on, um, it was a conversion at first. Uh, there was this, um, it was an episode of uh, Fear of a Black Dragon that I was listening to, where they did a review of um, this old Warhammer adventure called Night of Blood. And I was like, that's a little horror adventure. <laughs> and so I had started, the idea was, is I wanted something to run for um, just like an actual play, something coming up. I, I wanted to have a one shot on hand because I, I had basically run one shots of everything available at that point. We had done the mall and the bureau and stuff. So it was already out there. Um, so I was, I was building something so that if anybody asked, they could be like, okay, I'll run this. Um, now I would just grab the chair that Zach wrote, but <laughs> yeah. um so i had started to take this adventure and it's available for free the original one it's like 13 pages or something like that it's it's nothing huge and it's meant to be a one shot and i was just trying to do a straight conversion and i was like all right this isn't gonna work <laughs> um it's it's uh the couple of things are a little too steeped in fantasy so i knew it would need an update and this was right at the time the triangle agency folks had come talk to me and um shortly after that i had run the original adventure for a couple of um pacific northwest designers we had a little meetup you know nick was there too um and so the proto adventure was ran then and at that point the whole thing was centered around um playing investigators uh running into a scene where the bureau as an organization is already investigating a horror story, um, but they're trying to hide it. Uh, so they don't want the characters to um, find the horror. So it's, it's not like the, the basic premise is it's uh, playing with the idea that the players know that they're in a horror story already. Uh, and so this organization is doing a cover up. And so you go and you meet them and you realize uh, over time that something weird is going on. So you think it's one thing, but well, it's really something else, and yada yada. yada. So um, that ended up working really nicely with the idea of doing a crossover. So we ditched the bureau, and uh, instead, that secret organization is the Triangle Agency. And so when you play the crossover, you can use either system, and you just take either side of the story. So if you are liminal horror investigators, you're going to the hotel and unknown to you facing off against triangle agency agents uh, that are trying to contain a horror beneath the hotel and then if you're playing triangle agency you are trying to contain that horror while like npcs are coming in and interrupting <laughs> your your activities um so the adventure itself is exactly the same but your framing which side you take is going to like drastically affect uh how it kind of plays out um just for a few minor changes 
Um, but it's it's perfect for one shot. We we've got uh, pre-generated characters available. I think just in the digital package, um, so you can quickly get up and play if you want to do it at a convention. If you want to just run something at home, uh, this is a great one to do it. Um, just real quick to touch on the the creative teams here. Um, you know, I I did the the primary story bit at least initially, and then the idea was I kind of handed it off. And you know, Nick and uh, Sean Ireland from Haunted Table. Um, did a lot of the supporting stuff, especially like the triangle agency side of things. Cause I'd already written most of the limited horror stuff. Um, yeah, and it was fun. I definitely had fun writing for a different system the other way. <laughs> so like Josh wrote the limited horror side and then I was like, okay, I'll write the, the triangle agency side, even though I had just learned that system. <laughs> um, then, uh, Caleb Zane Hewitt is the, the, I guess, the primary mind behind Haunt the Table. Came in and did the editing and helped out tweak a few things. Um, I did the design. It was going to be a copy of the Bureau at first, and then I didn't like that, so I <laughs> went and completely redid the entire layout. Um, and then we we had uh, Josh Clark, uh, who did some... At that time, he had already done the work for the Bureau. Or not the Bureau, sorry, uh, the Bloom for us. He did all the, uh, the NPC art for the Bloom. Uh, so I knew his rates and I was like, this is going to work out nicely. I should give him a little more money. He comes back. We get eight more NPCs, uh, that we threw in there, uh, that look absolutely fantastic. And, you know, technically released before the bloom, but, um, you know, we went from there, uh, yeah, just quick touchstones. Obviously it's, you know, night of blood is this, the primary point of inspiration here, you know, the old Warhammer adventure, but, um, I was also playing with, um, there's the movie bad times at the El Royale and, uh, two thirds of that movie is great. The ending is not. <laughs> no. Fun fun fact: one of the others, the second playtest ever for um, Liminal Horror was a was a adventure inspired by Bad Times at the El Royale as well. Independently, years ago, um, like Josh said, it's like a two thirds of it are phenomenal. It's so good, and then one part of it's not great. <laughs> but it's worth watching just for the good parts because it definitely you will see why both of us independently were inspired to write elemental horror adventure yeah so a lot of the aesthetics of one night are you know kind of pulling from you know bad times at the LRL. um and then you know twin peaks is sort of like the ever-present bit of inspiration um and then i, I chose misery and mexican gothic as like single location horror stories to be sort of points of touchstones even if they're not necessarily like the most narratively relevant here one of the areas that uh, Twin Peaks, especially like I, it's, you know, it's funny that it's on your list here. And I think subconsciously, I'm always, anytime I think of an NPC, you want it to be as memorable as a uh, Twin Peaks character, like exactly. Log Lady or whatever. Like, it's just full of like unique characters that just help build that scenario out. But uh, uh, let's get a look at your layout here. Yes, yeah, so we got, we got a few slides of just, um, you know, the, the, examples that i pulled up here um this is i think the map has actually changed from this version here i did the the mock-ups before i finished <laughs> but um yeah so i was initially trying to mirror a little bit of what had already been done for a triangle agency in their design but i wanted to do it my way <laughs> so you see a lot of a uh, similar touchstone aesthetics in terms of like the coloration that i used here but um the map i had done an ascii map for uh tangled um that i really loved and so i was like i really want to do this again and so i, I tried doing it for the, the hotel here um it's not as um good as the other one but i think it's good enough for this module <laughs> so. 
another uh, yeah. uh, page here. And uh, and when you uh, look at what's your approach with the the design, like information design, as far as especially like on a digest size book and that kind of thing. Like, do you ever get like, okay, I want to go one column, two columns, and then you start getting into color and layout and just like it develops. Um, uh, I just have like weird hangups. Um, <laughs> one, I do not like gameable text in eight and a half by 11, you know, the standard letter size or a four or whatever. I just, it bugs me to no end. <laughs> um, Cause it's not very easy for me to use at my computer desk. Uh, so I always like the, the condensed, format uh, and then once you get into the spacing and how it's all set up and stuff too there is uh, there are people that are a lot smarter than me that can kind of talk about this but um, the general idea is that you want quick referenceable text you know something you can pull up and use without having to slog through and read it the two column format is a little bit easier to kind of quickly scan things as opposed to, you know, the full line of text across the entire document. So you run into less uh, issues. Sorry, I froze there for a second. Yeah, that's all right. Um, so you run into a little less of a problem with eye fatigue when you start splitting it up into columns. And then it lets you do fun stuff like we show here where I can put the little boxes in place to specifically draw attention to certain things. And I use coloration to draw a distinction between the two systems here where the, the red blocks are the luminal horror and the gray blocks are the triangle agency. Um, so again, it's really quick. You can scan it. You can see... You know, if you're running for Luminal Horror, you know exactly what to look for when you're just flipping through the text and so on and so forth. Yeah, and this one is um, this is a good look at uh, four of the eight uh, NPC portraits that we have here. Um, it's <laughs> these are Josh Clark. Um, I fucking love <laughs> the stuff that Josh Clark puts together. Um, if folks who don't know, um, he's probably most noteworthy for Orbital Blues. That's like the you know the the big uh, book they did the art for. Um, so I knew I wanted to hire him like immediately after reading that. So <laughs> this was a little fun opportunity. But uh, so these are all um, somehow like bespoke created. I know he does a lot of like kit bashing from uh, public domain stuff here, um, but a lot of the the little details are photoshopped and you like change faces and stuff like that too. Um, but the if you're playing the triangle agency side, these are the NPCs who are going to come and mess with your um, attempt to contain the anomaly. And we set this up as um, <laughs> the, the hidden secret here is this is Liminal Horror Scooby-Doo Gang, uh, where each of these characters is modeled after one of the, the Scooby-Doo Gang members or the Mystery Inc. Um, but we, we're doing a little spin on that. They are... Um, a news agency for this independent program called this mysterious life. And so each of them has like uh, a role that they do within their organization and uh, various hooks that can put them against each other uh, and how that might uh, um, intersect with the characters that you're playing in triangle agency and stuff. So. Um, they also, these are, we have them as um, in the digital version. They are, um, pre-gen characters that you can run with with um liminal horror stats um to me my favorite framing of a liminal horror party is someone who are news investigators because i think that is the non-law enforcement analog to someone who would be looking into stuff so it's like the easiest 
like explanation for like these people's job is to sort of figure out what's going on um even if they don't do paranatural paranormal stuff and so it, to me it's like the baseline easiest and so these might be my four favorite npcs and the weird personalities <laughs> that usually come within a news crew for sure right and so they're fun so those npcs might make a appearance at other places as well but um they were fun to make for this cool and then in the pipeline here You've got the concept of twisted classics. So tell us all about that. Yeah. So um, one night at the shelter we're in, it's technically the first in this line. We kind of uh, retroactively decided this. <laughs> so the basic idea is that there are a lot of these really good, you know, older adventures um, that um, will not really stand up to a direct conversion. You know, we've done straight up conversions. You know, I talked a little bit about, um, you know, let us in. It's very easy. You just assign stats and you can run this as is. Um, I also wrote a conversion guide for Luke Gehring's um, Fever Swamp uh, that you can find on my H.io page. Um, and again, that you basically need to do no work. You know, there's a few things you need to recontextualize and there's some new stats. Like that's all that's needed to run Fever Swamp, even if it is fantasy. Um, but for the Twisted Classics, there are some of these fantasy ones that the core of the experience is like that could be something great in limited horror but to do a, a conversion would do a disservice so what we're doing is reimagining these adventures and no it's taking them breaking them down to their core basics and building them back up uh in order to support you know modern horror uh so we yeah. call them twisted classics because the idea is that even if we are taking these core ideas, we're going to do some kind of crazy twist on them so that they are a different experience. Those who are familiar uh, with the older adventures um, might recognize some of the elements, but we're trying to make something completely unique using those core ideas. Um, so like I said, uh, One Night's the first in the series. Um, there are more coming in the future. One we'll talk about in a moment. Uh, and just be preemptive these are just fun side projects um we're trying to push a few of them out in between uh larger releases uh there's no set interval and currently we have plans for you know one more that we're going to talk about and we'll, we'll see where it goes but we wanted to kind of make a distinct line here so people at least knew the lineage that we're playing with yeah and so like to to lead into that we have another one that we're in development right now the part Oh my gosh, I can't. Josh, say the name for me, please. Uh, the Parthenogenesis of Hungry Hollow. Okay, so um, we... a good marketable name. It's yeah. a good marketable uh, name. Rolls right? off that's, the tongue. That's the thing is like the um, our, our sort of core modules have like the blank, the blank. And so we decided in these Twisted Classics have a little bit more of a flair to their name, right? One Night at the Shelter Wood Inn, the Parthenogenesis of Hungry Hollow. Um, both Josh and I sort of independently, but not really independently, we were listening to the Between Two Cairns um, uh, gamer blast from the past on uh, N1 against the Cult of the Reptile God. And as I was sitting in my car outside of my house, coming home from work, getting towards the end of the Against the Cult of the Reptile God, I was like, this needs to be a little horror adventure. Just like the way they were talking about it and the way like the small town and all of that. I was like, this has everything I want in an adventure to put out for little horror. It needs a modern update. I, I messaged Josh. Josh was like, I just listened to the same thing and had the same exact thought. Um, and then so I had um, deviated septum surgery about a month ago. And so I was um, 
recovering from work. So I, I had I had uh, like 10 days where I wasn't at work, um, which is a rare occurrence where I had a lot of time to be working on um, game stuff, like pretty much solely focused and i ended up being like hey josh i'm gonna do a draft of this right now and so i read through against the cult of the reptile god and i started to the way i do the writing of like bare bones and then flush out and so i like took notes and then i i rebuilt and then we like hacked it apart again um to really make it sort of what it is um for liminal horror if you're if you recognize if you've read the adventure you'll definitely see those echoes i have a lot of there's a lot of characters that are sort of similar but not um but but the core part of it too um where there is this uh something's going on in town um about half of the people in town are these members of a cult but the other half don't know it they just know that something weird has been going on um but we divert we we took that sort of core concept and then like took a left turn because like the root of why and how is pretty drastically different um in a way that i think is really fun and really liminal horror I then also was finally able to watch Midnight Mass that Josh has been telling me to watch for a long time. And I watched all of that and I was like, yep, okay, uh-huh. And so that's really heavily influenced um, sort of uh, what the core concepts of what this adventure module is. So we're still drafting it, but we're pretty close. And then we have a phenomenal artist. Like usually we collaborate with Zach Hazard, but Zach is currently working on the deluxe edition. And so I didn't want to put more work on him. And so we decided to um, invite a new artist into the stable. And that one is, I'm really excited for as well. And I can confirm that there is no reptile God. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it uh flesh flesh bees. So is is it's the the, the monster it's different and it's it's really gross. <laughs> it's a really gross module. Uh that's gonna be really fun. But there's these um carrion style bees that use meat to make um honey and stuff, and so we used that as the um the replacement for reptiles and, and other things of that nature. And let's skip down to there's the printing of the Tales from the Void pamphlet series, and then let's get into the deluxe edition at the end. Yeah, so uh, Tales from the Void was something we did last year uh, when um, Kickstarter did the weird, we're going to do Zine Quest during Gen Con thing, mm -hmm. um, where we had seen, um, it was Evelyn Moreau has been working on a bunch of like a little horror stuff in the background. Some of it's out and some of it's still in progress. And we've been trying to find ways to, you know, help her out. And uh, she had this idea and was talking about potentially kickstarting it for a zine quest, but it didn't seem to be substantial enough. So I had seen that on the social media, reached out to Nick and I was like, why don't we just make this a bigger project and get a few people to kind of come in here? So we we brought in you know, there's three creatives. Each of them did everything basically on their own pamphlets. Um, you know, several Moreau, we had Zach Valpin and uh, Matt Morris are the three. Uh, they, you know, they were working independently of us. We came in, we did development stuff. I think I edited them all technically, but um, so we, we supported the development. Uh, Nick was hosting the project on Kickstarter. The funds went entirely to those crew. Like we didn't see a dime of it intentionally. So, um, it was pretty successful. The idea was to, to, you know, fulfill a set of digital pamphlets. You know, we were trying to keep it very simple. We were giving the creatives a ton of time. I think we gave them like 
know, six months or something like that to put the pamphlets together from what our original, uh, you know, um, launch date was supposed to be, which I think we hit it pretty dead mm -hmm. on too. Yeah. And so um, I got one right here. Uh, um, Zach has started independently printing the chair. I think he's got a, a pretty decent printer at home. Um, but um, Jared's been talking about wanting to have all three of the pamphlets together for Space Penguin. So uh, we're working on some stuff behind the scenes to try and get the contracts together so that we can do, you know, a bundle to go along and support the other stuff that we're working on right now. Yeah. So that should hopefully come out next year. The timeline is still a little murky on when that's going to happen, but that is the goal is to get those together. Um, Cause there are three perfect examples of what like a pamphlet would look like for um, Luminal Horror, which so like a sort of one to two shot. Um, and they're just, they're so much fun. Um, and then that leads into sort of our biggest thing, which we've talked a lot about, but like never like super specifics that we sort of have now, um, which is the deluxe edition, which is coming out next year. And do you have a plan? Is it going to be on Kickstarter or anything like that? Yeah, so we are going to do Kickstarter. Um, we're going to do Kickstarter. Um, the main thing is for uh, printing costs um, and just uh, sort of a other way of scope and reach. Um, our goal will be to have it pretty developed by that time. So it's a so it's it's sort of that. My hope always is that like when someone backs a thing, they get something delivered pretty quickly. I, sometimes that super long development after funding can be just hard not to knock it because that's how some people often get the things ready. Um, but I like to have things more succinct as possible. So we will probably be launching that at the end of summer is the hope or fall um, and try to have a pretty quick turnaround after that fact. Um, it's going to be hardcover. Josh is doing the design, um, and then we're both doing writing for it. Zach Hazard is going to do art throughout the whole thing, which is going to be so phenomenal. Um, Jarrett is doing dev and editing for it. Um, and our goal is to really make something that is, um, I don't want to use the word bespoke, but I'm gonna, um, <laughs> something to like truly have that idea of like, cause that specialness of having your game in physical print. And then there's something about having a hardcover, um, that is just, that harkens back to just growing up with games and it, it's just something special. Again, it's going to be fully compatible. The goal and the idea would be like, we're going to continue printing the, the investigator edition too, um, because someone might want to buy that for their players to have, right? They're not going to buy four hardback. You could buy hardbacks for your whole group. I think that's an awesome idea, but like, pass not, them out. Share them, pass share them out. But, but, um, there's going to be the zines too. And so we'll have bundles too, where you can buy the zines for your table too, so they can have it as quick reference. Um, the other thing though, is my, my goal for everything is to have it accessible to everyone at regardless of the price point. Um, so there's going to be an update with the um, investigator edition rules and such into uh, the website that I have that has all the core rules. And so that someone could use that at the table as well. So their players can do it from their phone. Um, I don't, my main goal is that people play. And so I don't want to put a, a price barrier for that. Like if you're going to play my game, like, heck yeah, let me give you the tools to do that. If you want to give me some money too to buy some stuff, that's awesome as well. But uh, table play to me is the most important. Um, but yeah, we'll have that hardcover. We're 
we have the player rules section pretty dialed in because we just finished the investigator um, sec uh, the investigator edition, and so now Josh and I are working on writing the sort of back matter for uh, the facilitator's guide toolkit. Um, if you've anyone who's read or seen um, Electric Bastion Land, like they have all those essays in the back and all that, like how to run it and all that kind of thing, we are trying to emulate stuff like that in terms of like having resources to really dig deep if i'm uh, someone who's going to run this game i want to have resources like here are monsters and how they interact taking some inspiration from monster the monster overhaul mm -hmm. yep. uh, yeah sort of like we're going to take some learning from that on like how to present our monsters um and then some new starter adventures um and just the different resources for like how do i make my own adventures how do i tweak things to be different um uh, 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 sub and just an excuse for Josh and I to write fun stuff about horror and about running games. And since we spend all our time thinking and talking about it, putting it to paper for people. GM resources are highly undervalued. I think, uh, like if you're putting out a book, it's not just the rules the GM resources should take up a huge chunk to help people. Um, as we close up here, uh, tell people where they can find you. Uh, we've already talked about Space Penguin Inc. Um, so I'll put that in the show notes, but uh, individually uh, and for the web, uh, the overarching liminal horror, uh, where can people find all you, your links and information? Um, so, oh boy, I'm scattered all over the internet at this point. Um, <laughs> on various social media, uh, you can usually find me at uh, the username unenthuser. That's unenthusiastic user smashed into one. That should be uh, the skeleton of Twitter, uh, Blue Sky, <laughs> and my itch.io page is all under that. Uh, if you want to find me on Discord, just head over at the moment to the Lost Bay. They host the, the Luminal Horror um, channel there on the server. We kind of are pretty regularly present to answer questions and stuff. Uh, maybe some changes on that in the future, but we'll, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> um, yeah. But also uh, beyond the itch.io page, you can find my work through the afterthought committee. There's a couple of OSE funnels that I've written for them. Uh, keep an eye out for the outer rim uprising mothership bundle through the lost bay. Cause I am one of the contributors for that. Uh, go pick up fallen the RPG from perplexing ruins. Cause I wrote a little bit there too. <laughs> And, uh, so when do you find time to work, Josh? <laughs> yeah. um, I don't, and I'm going to jump out the window. So, <laughs> um, yeah, and so my all my stuff is Goblin Archives. Um, so like goblinarchives.itch.io is where you can find all of the Liminal Horse digital things as well. We try to put community copies up of a lot of them. Not everything has it, but you can get a lot of stuff, and that has all the links as well. Um, I have a Substack called Goblin Archives is the Stacks. Um, so that's goblinarchives.substack.com where I put out newsletters and such, um, give sneak peeks, looks at things. I'll have a new newsletter going up, sort of maybe looking sort of at the future as well, going into some deeper depths of um, Hungry Hollow. Um, I have a goblinarchives.github.io that hosts the entire game there for free so if you're interested wondering what does this look like you can read all of the game text um it's the legacy edition up currently um i will be moving that to a tab that says legacy edition and then i'm going to put the updated um and um, investigators edition up 
um, those two will be up in perpetuity forever. Um, so that way you can run them. You can run the game if you're if you bought um, if you bought uh, the, the book or the PDF and you're running the game, your players can pull it up on their phone. Um, that way they can reference and do character generation without any barriers. Um, I'm on Twitter. I still look at it a lot, even though it's sort of dying at Goblin Archives. Um, as Josh said, we are on the Lost Bay, uh, the Liminal Horror channel of the Lost Bay. Um, we will in the future, and this is this is a sort of a new thing, but we probably will be making our own Discord server um, that emulates a little bit of the look of like Mothership in terms of like looking at different modules, uh, ways for people to like creatively build because i do want to support the third party uh community um we have a third party license so if you want to make a limited horror game where you run it and you're like you know what i want to put something out guess what you 100 can you own it it's yours um you don't need to go to me for permission um i have the third party license posted on uh the webs all the different websites and around um and if you ever have any questions just reach out to ask there's very few restrictions it's pretty much don't make nfts and don't be a bigot um, or a racist or things of that nature, then you can't use liminal horror. But other than that, it's free for you to like explore, expand on, make money on. Josh and I are constantly talking about ways that we can support others in creating. Um, our bare minimum is we, we oftentimes will look at your stuff and read it and like give you at least some sort of feedback, cheerlead you on. Um, boost things on social media and like we we are on constant talks of like how can we more formally support people um and there will be means of that coming in the future especially as um the horror continues to grow because it's on that upward swing of like growing we keep putting out modules and my hope is that not only are we growing our things but we're growing others um because as sean mccoy really aptly puts of mothership a system um, and its survival and its success is dependent on the community that builds around it. There's a reason why that's what I put out is liminal horror things, and I keep supporting it um, because I believe in it. And it's just a fun thing that I think others have a lot of fun in. And so I want to support others in making things and finding success as well. Yeah. And if you guys have projects that you are having the works uh, and you want a little help with that, please, please reach out to us. We are always happy to at the very least look over drafts, uh, whether or not we have time to do proper like, you know, dev assistance or whatever, just really dependent on the day. But um, anybody who asks, I'm usually willing to do something for uh, either that's advice or, you know, reading the draft itself. Yeah. Or if you're farther along and you're like, hey, I'm trying to find a home for this, let us know. We will help. Like I said, I want to see. There's such a great. We did a jam that had so many great um, entries. We're going to do a jam in the future as well, probably around the deluxe edition, either lead up or afterwards. Um, but our goal is to support people getting stuff into print and into stores as well. And so, like I said, we will have a more formalized process in the future someday. Um, but right now, we try to give the support where we can because that's what's important. Um, it's, you know, putting out games, playing games, all of that. If you ever have also a fun fact for anyone who who runs games um, and you have session reports or like how it went, uh, designers love hearing that just because it's so much fun. One, hear someone played your game and two, just to be like, oh my gosh, that happened. Like seeing it unfold. I know that I can speak for myself and I would speak for others as well as like, that's always a fun thing to share. It doesn't even have to be publicly. It can be privately, but just like, oh my gosh. And so sharing that is just table play is what we do this for. 
Definitely. Well, uh, congratulations on building up such a like good community to begin with, and I'm sure it's going to just continue to grow. Uh, you're putting out a lot of cool stuff, and I'm excited to see what happens. So, uh, Nick, uh, Josh, thanks for coming on the Daiku Podcast, and uh, come back when you, that deluxe edition is launching. <laughs> hey, thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. <laughs>